Good morning, good afternoon. How you doing out there today? This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. I hope you're having a wonderful weekend of the, well, I guess this is the first weekend of December. We are already on to December, holy smokes, December the 3rd today. My gosh, we are, we are slowly making it through. So hopefully you guys are staying safe out there, enjoying time with family and friends. We've got 20 some odd days before the big day, Christmas. So, you know, it's probably a good idea that I start my holiday shopping sometime soon. But um, just before we get started, I want to let you know you can find the Marketplace of Ideas podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're talking Google Play, Stitcher, you name it. Wherever you get your podcast, look for us there. We are rocking, rolling, living it up, staying lit, as the kids say. I don't know if they say that, but... Um, nonetheless, we're having a good time. So today we're going to be talking about something that is a bit nostalgic for people of my age, from my era. I am 40 plus, won't get into specifics now, but, um, I was born in, in the 80s, well, actually 79. And so I came of age during a period where there wasn't any internet where you couldn't go onto YouTube to see your your shows and you had to wait until your program was on the next week if you missed it. So if you were watching television, you had you had three channels. Basically that was it and we had CTV, we had CBC and the French Channel if I recall correctly. And sometimes if you were lucky you can get showcase, but hey, we won't talk about that. Uh, that was uh, that was a different time, <laughs> different place. And we were able to watch most of our, if not all of our content on those two or three channels. And then outside of that, you had magazines and you had radio and you had the movies. But really, that were, those were the only avenues in which you could see um, cartoons or TV shows or movies or read articles or listen to music. So it was pretty limited and we were still able to get a lot of stuff for our enjoyment and to see what we liked. And I remember as a child, there was nothing more frustratingly exciting than waiting every, every fall to get the Sears or the consumers distributors gift uh, catalog. So back in the day, what would happen is rather than go online or go onto the website of Hasbro or Kenner or any of the companies that produce toys like Star Wars or Pound Puppies or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or G.I. Joe or He-Man, Transformers, Battle Beasts, uh, Mask, Silverhawks, Thundercats, Pound Puppies, My Cabbage Patch Kids, to Hot Wheels Cars, to Brave Star, to um, what else was there? There was Gem and the Holograms. There was She-Ra, Princess of Power. You had the Smurfs. You had Garfields. You had... Um, Chuck Norris's Karate Commandos. You had Mr. T. He had his own show. You had Archie. There were the Ghostbusters. You had... What else did you have? You had um, Kenner's Superpowers, so with Superman and Batman. And then you had the WWF wrestlers. You had the Secret Wars toys from Marvel. Um, it was... I mean, you had the Disney toys as well and their play sets and everything else. It was just a glut of content, of media, it was this amazing time period in which 
you could almost lose yourself. And that, that was just the cartoons. We're not talking about the movies. We're not talking about the TV shows that were for a little bit older for kids, uh, such as Degrassi High. Um, what else? There was Saved by the Bell. You had Pee Wee's Playhouse. Then you had uh, sports and, and ath- you know, it was, oh, it was just amazing. And in that time period, there was really nowhere you could find everything that you were looking for as far as toys and memorabilia and things of that nature, like your uh, bed sheets and blankets and towels with, with uh, your favorite superheroes on them. And that's where the Sears catalog came in. That's where the consumers distributors came in. Uh, think of it like Amazon before the internet. You would get the magazine and then you would go um, to the outlet that was usually in your town and you would have your, your book with you. And they normally have books there. And you'd head into the warehouse or into the store that they had and you would say, hey, like, do you guys have this, this, and this? And then you'd fill out the little paperwork. You'd hand it to the person at the till. They would run to the back and see if they had it, get it out to you, know, bring it out to you, and then you're good. And I don't know if they had delivery back then, but I do know that in Edmonton and in Calgary, like it was everywhere in Canada, and I don't know about the States, but probably the States as well. And so you could, you could see what was coming out, and it was so exciting because there was no other way to see what new toys and what new gadgets, remote control cars, puzzles... Um, things of that nature. So it was usually at the back of the magazine. So you'd have to go past all of the electronics and all of the hardware stuff to get to that. And I mean, we would literally circle everything we wanted to get. I think uh, Canadian Tire had a, had a catalog as well, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, most outlets before the internet had one of these catalogs they would put out every fall because as we all know, as soon as Halloween was over, December, uh, November to December would be go time. So for those eight weeks, it would be get people to spend as much money as humanly possible. And that would get us in the black for the rest of the year. There were some companies like Best Buy, Future Shop back in the day when it was still here. Um, Radio Shack back in the day. Obviously, that's gone now. Um, store Beaver Lumber, if anybody remembers Beaver Lumber from back in the day. But these stores would put out their magazines and you would get uh, the different sort of um, products that were coming out. And it was so cool because I, I, looking for this, I was digging up some stuff. And so I just went online and I found like the 1989 Sears Wish Book catalog. And that would have been right at the height of when I was like looking at everything. And we had everything from Ghostbusters in there to the, um, oh my gosh, to the new Adventures of He-Man. So it was pretty cool. And I was looking at uh, certain articles for this, and we'll be touching on that in a little bit. But I kind of wanted to tell this by saying that how the Sears catalog made our Christmases freaking awesome. And, and I, I want to reiterate that it's really tough to have kids understand what it was like. Like what it was really about to wait for that catalog to come in the mail and to see all the toys and the and the the goodies that you could that you could beg your parents for and also it was like the latest electronics and it was so cool to see how technology was changing in the 80s and the 90s and we'd see certain things like i remember my dad got us a um a camera that 
you would take the picture and it was a Polaroid that would come out of the bottom. And all you'd have to do was kind of shake it and then it would develop right there and you'd have your pictures. So it was insane to think of that you could get instant pictures not having to go to the... Um, to the photo developing place and wait a week to get your photos in a little envelope and you prayed to God right you prayed to God that you didn't um, take bad photos because if you did you'd have to you only had so many in a roll now if you look at your average phone within a family gathering you could easily take a hundred to two hundred you know um, snapshots of everything that's going on plus high definition video so to look at how technology was moving from cassettes to CDs to MP3 players. And then by the time iTunes came out with their iPod, or Apple came out with their iPod, I don't know if the Sears catalog was still being sent out there because they had their website. So, And to be honest with you, I don't even know if Sears is still around, actually. I should have did a bit more research into that, but I, I, I'm kind of aware that the Bay and Sears have been kind of on the outs. So we're going to be talking about that as well before we get into the Sears catalog. But um, I just recall how much fun it was and how entertaining it was just to have that anticipation to wait for the catalog, to have it come in the mail, and then to kind of run off with it. And my brother and I, we used to deliver um, newspapers for the Examiner. So it was a local newspaper that talked about current events within the city of Edmonton. And every little um, town had it, I think, uh, Lethbridge and Red Deer and all the surrounding areas in Edmonton had their own Examiner. Uh, and we used to, I think you have to order them now since the pandemic. There's been a lot of cutbacks for um, for flyers and stuff like that. But you can probably call them and say, hey, I want to still get the examiner and they'll probably deliver it to you. But the the idea was that my brother and I, we delivered newspapers. And so we would get the flyers around the fall slash, you know, right before we're going back to school. And it would be crazy to have to deliver these huge books. Now, you got to remember, these things were the size of a phone book. And it's crazy to me with my kids. I They, they have no idea what that is. But a phone book you'd have this huge directory of people's names and phone numbers and everything. It's crazy to think of. We could just have people's numbers just in a book somewhere. It was nuts. But we would have the basically phone book sized, like, you know, catalogs. And we would get hundreds of them because our, our route would be the Crescent that we lived in. Plus most of the area that we were around, like we covered a lot of ground. And it was, it was a lot of work. I mean, we didn't get paid a lot of money, but it was the only job a, a kid could get when you're under the age of like 16 or 17. Really, I mean, who's going to hire a 10-year-old outside of cutting lawn and selling, selling lemonade? So we did that and we were able to make some okay money and we obviously we'd just spend it on ourselves. We, would, we were told by our parents we had to save a certain amount of, put it in the bank, and then I don't know if we ever gave some to the church. We probably tithed a bit too. And then after that, it was, yeah, do what you want with it. So we would buy snacks and all this sort of stuff. And we'd look to see if we had enough money to buy some of the stuff we wanted. And obviously we, we ended up purchasing like uh, video game systems and, you know, remote control cars. It was pretty cool because one of the things that brings you back 
when you're looking at stuff like this, when I was, I was doing research for this, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I remember this and I remember that, is that nostalgia in a way is like a drug. And it's a drug that allows you to see the past in rose-covered glasses. You don't necessarily remember anything bad because you didn't have much responsibility. If you were able-bodied, if you had the blessing of a two-parent household where there was no violence, it was, you know, it was pretty stable, all you had to do was basically go to school and stay out of trouble. And that was our upbringing. And I'll always be grateful for our parents for that. And because of that, we were able to focus on just being kids, just having fun, just being loosey-goosey with it. We didn't have to worry about where our next meal was coming from or if the lights would stay on or if we even had enough food to eat. And, and we weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. We weren't considered probably well-to-do, but we definitely had way more than we needed in the way of food and clothing and shelter and, and care and, and love and all that stuff. So in looking back, if you were able to remember that type of childhood, then it's all rose-colored glasses. Now, obviously, it, it wasn't. The 80s and the 90s was a time of hyperinflation and interest rates were up through the roof and the oil crisis and the, you know, and problems in the Middle East. And it, it feels like it feels like I'm reading off uh, a news footage from just this week, if you think about it. But the, the idea of getting these magazines and being able to see what these companies were going to be putting out in the, in, the, in the fall and into the winter was pretty cool. And it was also a time before we had the juggernauts of Walmart, Amazon. Um, what else? What was another company that kind of destroyed the middleman? I mean, if you think about it, there was Kmart, there was Zellers, there was Woolco, there was the Bay, there was Sears, and those were your major retailers in Canada and in the U.S. And then Walmart came in like a juggernaut, and also with the I believe it was the signing of the free trade agreement that allowed companies and corporations like Walmart to connect with larger countries like China. And because China didn't have much qualms or still don't about having their workforce work for pennies on the dollar to help build up their infrastructure, it Walmart just came in like a juggernaut and took out many of these retailers that we loved. So the fact that there is no Kmart anymore. I think it's still in the States from what I'm, I'm told. I've seen a few. I don't know if there's a lot of them there. But I can definitely tell you Zellers as well as the Bay, as well as Sears, as well as um, Toys R Us. Uh, there's about two or three in my town. We still have them in Canada, but in the States they got wiped out. They just got destroyed by low prices, easy access, and... They just couldn't compete with the with those same those same deals, and unfortunately, because of the internet, it became cost effective not to put out these magazines. You think about it; you to maintain a website costs way less money, I'm pretty sure, than it does to um, you know put out hundreds of thousands of these uh, catalogs, get people to deliver them, print them up. And then there's the waste and everything else. So it was, um, it was a time period in which this sort of media could only exist. And right now, I've seen online a few, um, a few companies trying to bring it kind of back, that feeling of anticipation. Because one of the things that I've 
encountered, and this is a bit of a rant, but one of the things I've encountered when it comes to online content is that when, I, when I'm watching something on Netflix or when I'm looking at something on YouTube or if I'm checking out anything on, on the various social media platforms, there's not a lot of commitment to the moment, as it were. And what I mean by that is if I were to borrow or rent a video, rent a DVD, or go to the library and get a book, or rent a CD, because they still have those at the libraries, and I get a song, and I get something from, let's say, ACDC, or Jay-Z, or whoever else, or I, or I get this book, I have, it's a solid book, it's, it's in my hands, it's got weight to it, it has volume, and I have to either listen to it, put it onto a player, or sit my ass down and read this book, or read this magazine, or this comic book, or, or whatever, but I have to make a commitment to it. When I'm watching something online, it's very, very, it's almost, it's almost to the, to the likeness of fairy dust, because I could watch it, or I could take it, I could leave it, I could pause it, I can go to the bathroom, I could say, you know what, I'm not feeling this, and I'll watch something else, and that feeling of not really having to commit to something, I, I feel is really causing us to have more of a disposable economy because when I would get these magazines, not only would I like have it in my room or, you know, circle everything, I would sometimes like look around uh, town before we were delivering the, before we were delivering them, I would sometimes have two of these magazines with me. One was for the family and one I would just have for myself and I would pour over these pages like... And like just religiously, I would be looking at the little intricate designs of the new Batman toy that's coming out or the new Batcave or, oh my gosh, it's the new He-Man toy that's coming out and what sort of accessories does it have? And, oh my gosh, there's new advancements with radio cars and instead of uh, the remote control cars that have the, uh, the wires attached to them, now they're like you know, it's wireless. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Or when the Nintendo systems came out or Sega or, you know, or, or Game Boy or Game Gear or, uh, TurboGrafx-64 or all of these sort of new, new advances in technology it was so cool to see year after year, how it advanced and what it meant for the future. Like you just have these debates about, about, um, wanting to get the new turtle van or, or the new tur- or the the sewer lair and begging and I mean begging your mom your mom your dad your your auntie your grandma didn't matter for any sort of you know any sort of uh, hope to get one of these toys you would just plead and hope hope to God when you opened up your presents on Christmas morning that instead of socks and underwear you you'd have something cool you'd have like you know, the new Nintendo system or the hot toy of the, of the, of the day. I did an episode a few weeks, uh, not a few weeks, I'm sorry, a few months back talking about the various crazes that have happened during Christmas time. So every few years there would be a new toy or a new item that would be the it item for that season. And I remember it being, uh, El- Tickle Me Elmo was one. I remember there was a certain doll one year. And then there was some other stuff from a franchise. 
that is no longer around that just was the must-have item. But Cabbage Patch Kids in particular and Tickle Me Elmo were two that we're going to touch on in a few extra episodes that we're going to have later on this month where people were throwing, like, punches at people to get these items. Like, it was it was insane. But just, just, just in um, discussing that, it was fun to to kind of see into the future a little bit with these magazines. And for those who have literally the world at their fingertips, it's hard for them to grasp how, how real and important that was to kids of that generation. If you know, then you know, if you were, if you were somebody born in an era where you had to go to the library, you knew what the Dewey system was at a library. You had to get the cards. You had to, sign out something or if you rented a video you had to bring it back and you had to be kind and rewind to have to go from that to where right now in this studio in my my basement studio I'm looking at let's see I've got a PC that I'm repairing I have a a PC that's not hooked up to the internet that I'm going to be using just for editing video I have an old uh, Mac computer that's from 2014 that, you know, um, Apple won't even update anymore. It's pretty much just for YouTube and music and photos. I got a laptop down here. I have my phone. I have two old iPods as well as two old iPhones that we don't use, but I'm still using just for photos and stuff like that. Just in this basement alone, and this isn't high-end equipment, this isn't you know, cutting, cutting room floor stuff anymore. It's pretty, a lot of it's pretty old. Even with all of this, I can still access terabytes of information that would have been ungodly impossible to, to get a hold of. If I, if you could remember correctly, just think about it for a second. To get your stuff out there, in any capacity, you'd have radio, you'd have television, you'd have um, print, and I think that was it. Or maybe hand-to-hand or hand-to-telling people about it. So, to go from that to literally you have um, Facebook, you have Instagram, you have Twitter, or X now. There's Twitch, if you do a lot of video gaming or whatever. Um, there's OnlyFans, that it's not just for porn, that you can also use it for... Uh, excuse me, for um, cooking and instructional videos and stuff like that. There's podcasts that are free that you can sign up to almost any um, you know, program and they will send out your podcast, no questions asked. I mean, um, you can also pay for it too, but there's free ones there as well. There's YouTube. There is, um, what's the other one? Vimeo, which is another platform that's got like a second cousin to YouTube. There is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's a uh, SoundCloud for musicians to put your songs out there. There are blogs that are free, so you can also write articles. Blogger is one. I think Medium is another one. I've I've been looking at that where you can pay $50 for the year, and then you could put out your, your literature, your writing articles and poems and things of that nature. There's websites where you can sign up for as little as $200 for the year and have a space online. And it's, and this is reach, this is a global 
reach that you have. It's not just located to your town. So if your newspaper was sending stuff out there, normally you'd just be reaching people, you know, locally. You couldn't um, ship things too far because it would cost a lot of money. And how would they know about you unless you were on TV or something or like radio, which would cost ads would be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So forget it. The local business or mom and pop shop just couldn't do it. And that's what we've come from. We've, we've lost that, that sense of wonder when it comes to these products, because we, the average individual who isn't, isn't that rich, but is able to make a modest modicum of a living can have access to all of this stuff. It's not for the rich and the famous or the affluent. It's for the everyday middle to lower class citizens. 97% of people in a ad that I saw on PBS just today when they were talking about how iTunes, I'm sorry, Apple is moving a lot of their production for their phones from China to India just because of what happened with COVID and the fact that a lot of companies had one too many eggs in one basket and they're looking to diversify. And India is, I believe, has just taken over China as the most populated nation on earth. And they have a very, very young population that are hungry, that are will do the work that you can do <laughs> and cheaper, faster and more efficiently. So it makes sense. But in that piece that I was uh, watching just recently with PBS, they said that 97% of adults, you know, or the population of America, Canada, and the developed countries have cell phones. That's insane. So that means that walking around in your pocket, you have access to, you know, a billion Sears catalogs. So to try to explain the importance and the relevancy of what it meant to have the Sears catalog or the consumer's distributor's catalog is truly... They, they just can't get it. They just can't fathom it. It's, it's just beyond what they can handle. And um, I found this article. So I wanted to read it here. Hold on a second. A minute. There we go. So, so this was written, uh, da, 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 let me see, so, um, so Sears did go bankrupt back in 2018, so, ah, that sucks, um, so let me see, Ah, here it is. Okay. So, the Sears Wish Book History. Legacy, the Sears Christmas Catalog. So, this was written on December 20th, uh, 29, uh, 2019, by Amanda Garrity. Published, uh, like I said, December 20th, 2019, of 5.22 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It says, For generations of Americans, as well as Canadians, the arrival of the Sears Wish Book was nearly as magical as Christmas itself. Decades before major online retailers like Amazon existed, kids and adults alike 
thumbed through hundreds of pages filled with toys, clothing, home decor, gadgets, and other trends of the time. Circling everything they'd hoped to see, wrapped underneath the tree on Christmas morning. Really, it was an excuse, an invitation rather, to dream. Like the name implied, the Sears Wish Book, a.k.a. the Book of Wishes, inspired everyday folks to wish for something bigger, brighter, and better in their everyday lives. Some daydreamed about their future homes, earmarking pages full of Kenmore appliances, Blue Willow chain sets, and um, Maltese bedspreads. Others played, played pretend, gawking at Joe Namath's replica jersey, or white bell-bottoms, a.k.a. also seen on Saturday Night Fever. Many like Jason LeBage, founder of Wishbook website, a site dedicated to the vintage catalogs, flipped straight to the 100-page toy section, there you go, in the back of the book. We take it for granted now, but it was truly world-changing at the time. To have so many different products, 600 pages worth, at our fingertips, he reminisces. In fact, the Sears Christmas book, first released in 1933, was merely just a companion to the company's already popular semi-annual catalog commonly referred to uh, by the big book. Forty years later, after Sears, Roebuck, and Company was founded in 1893, the mail-order company decided to expand its catalog offerings by publishing its first-ever Christmas book as a way to bring the company's wide assortment of goods straight into American and Canadian households during the holiday season. It was only natural for Sears to expand its catalog business as the company's product assortment continued to multiply, especially since mail order was part of the brand's original story. The company's founder, Richard Warren Sears, started selling gold watches as a side business in 1886 and published his first mail order catalog in 1888. The inaugural Sears Christmas book, which highlighted Miss Pigtail Dolls, five-pound chocolate boxes, and live singing canaries was just 78 pages. By the time it was renamed the Sears Wish Book in 1968, it had ballooned to 608 pages, giving shoppers an expansive assortment of gift options for all ages, interests, and budgets. In 1992, the Sears Wish Book hit an all-time high of 834 pages before dropping to 150 pages during its final years. Uh, Before online shopping was a possibility or even a thought, Sears focused on making making it easy for busy, budget-minded shoppers to buy everything on a loved one's Christmas list, no matter how far they lived from a physical store. There were four different ways to make purchases as outlined in the catalog's index. Over the phone, by mail, by visiting the catalog sales office, or a Sears authorized sale merchant. And with the help of a salesperson at the retail store, catalog uh, sales department in local Sears stores. To make their products more accessible for middle and lower class families, Sears promised to offer the lowest prices possible, even giving shoppers satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. When major retailers like Walmart, Kmart, and Target entered the scene in the 1960s, Sears evolved from their customer friendly, customer first mentality. I'm sorry. Sears evolved their customer-first mentality by launching payment plans, oh my gosh, and the Discovery Card credit card. I remember my mother having a Sears card. Man! Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, they, they, they had the Discover Card credit card, which allowed shoppers to buy up to $200 for minimum monthly payments for only 10 bucks. Sears was the first Amazon of their day, or should I say that Amazon is the Sears of today. 
The concept of store credit cards and ship a gift delivery service is a given in 2019 when this article was written, but it was revolutionary at the time. Sears was the Amazon of their day, or should I say that Amazon is the Sears of today, LeBage remarks. They may have not been the first people to implement mail-order retail, but they were the trendsetters who inspired JCPenney and F.A. Swartz to follow suit. In many ways, the Sears Wishbook was a printed time capsule serving as a mirror of our times, recording for future historians today desires, habits, customs, and mode of, let, of living, as described by the Sears New Graphic. Flip, uh, flip to any page in any given catalog to get a glimpse of what everyday life was like for many middle-class families in America and Canada at the time. The catalog's early years followed the Great Depression, which, which explains why the I'm so proud of my furry outfit doll was 95 cents, but advertised as easily worth $1.50 to $2 in the 1937 issue, a symbol of hope for families still recovering from the economic pains of the previous decade. The 1950s promised brighter times with pages full of Roy Rogers costumes, Kenmore sewing machines, and make it snow in an aerosol can. The warm fuzzy feeling that many yearned for was felt in every corner of the United States and Canada as soon as the wish book hit their doorsteps. During its 78 year run, Sears reported that tens of millions were made uh, through the catalog as part of their annual holiday tradition. Um, let me see. Model and actress Shelley Hack was one of the millions who recognized and felt its tremendous um, impact. Just five years before she landed the role of Tiffany in Charlie's Angels, the 27-year-old model a seven, modeled a $7 rib-knit argyle turtleneck and a $15 pair of flared plaid pants. She, like many other young models at the time, was hopeful that the 1974 catalog spread would welcome new career opportunities. After all, she knew that millions of people would see her face. I had a farm in upstate New York during the 1970s and 80s, and the Sears Wish Books wish book was a crucial component to everyone's holiday, she says. While her memories of modeling included lots of plastic stuffing and pinning in the back, she can't help but look back at those catalogs fondly, just like the rest of us. While uh, LeBeige grew up in a J.C. Penney household based on store proximity alone, he recalls the rush of excitement that came every afternoon in late August as he waited for the mailman to approach his front door with a wish book in hand. And he's not the only one. When we asked good housekeeping readers to reflect on their fondest Sears wishbook memories, 180 people responded with the sentiment similar to LeBage's. Reader Claudia J. Um, Buhlheimer remembers the fights she had with her brother and sister to be the first ones to look at the great toys inside. Pat Walp recalls eagerly waiting its arrival because it meant there were hundreds of opportunities for her budding paper doll collection. Ask someone who grew up in the years between 1933 and 2011, and you might find that their fondest memories of the catalog weren't really about the toys at all. For many kids, it was a cherished moment shared with siblings, parents, and grandparents. We would spend Thanksgiving nights circling everything we wanted and showing our aunts, uncles, grandparents, and other adults who, who were over, um, said Marie Dennis. For parents, it was a moment of peace during an otherwise chaotic holiday season. I remember watching our children going through the catalog, pointing out what they wanted and what they had. Oh, sorry. I remember watching our children going through the catalog, point, pointing out what they wanted and what they had. I can still hear my son saying, I, I have a dad, when he was two years old. 
Many, including reader Lisa Zeramon, can pinpoint specific gifts connecting them with different people in their lives that they've lost over the years. I remember circling everything I wanted, I wanted, but knowing deep down my parents could never afford to buy any of it. I was blessed they did buy me what they could. I miss my parents so much, she writes. Once the semi-annual big book was discontinued in 1933, Americans and Canadians relied on the Sears Wish Book for inspiration in gifting and beyond. The ver this very sentiment is why some people still get teary-eyed at its mention. It's become a nostalgic touchstone, LeBeige explains. Even for me, it wasn't about the specific Star Wars figures that I wanted. It was about what my mother was willing to do for me and my brother. Um, for multiple generations, the Sears Wish Book continues to be a reminder of simpler, more innocent times. We never really got a lot of toys like kids do today, so it was actually the Wish Book us kids would fight over to wish, says reader Deborah Toon. Even if kids knew their parents couldn't afford a Tonka, a Winnebago, or a Lion, or um, let me see, uh, uh, electric train set, they still felt compelled to dream. Like the 1968 uh, issue of the Wish Book noted, the Sears catalog was where imaginative ideas become a reality. For many, this idea still holds true. Although the Sears Wish Book ceased publication in 2011, Sears brought it back for one more year in 2017, albeit a reimagined shorter version, but still, the days of the 600-page Book of Joy seem to be gone for good. In 2019, the slow, all-encompassing activity of circling and dreaming has been replaced with scrolling and clicking and creating Amazon wish lists. The legacy, however, lives on with every page turned, every story shared, every catalog listed on eBay, and every doll passed from one generation to the next. But just as the Sears Wish Book taught many of us back, uh, many of us way back when, there was no harm in wishing for the impossible. So that article was written, really touching actually, um, like I said, by uh, Amanda Garrity, and I'll list that in the show notes there. But um, I think she touched on something really important, which is we don't necessarily have the best relationship with um, technology. And what I mean by that is the tech that we have kind of gives us this sense of things are very disposable. So when I would get that, that booklet, when it would come in the mail, it would, it would be like a sea change. I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, Christmas is so close. Uh, summer's over, you know, so we would have to uh, get ready and you know we're we're putting away all of our, our summer stuff and school starting and like like the article said it would usually get here by by the end of summer like usually by the end of summer you'd get your the wish list would be coming um or your sears book would be coming in the mail and like i said we were <laughs> the kids who had to deliver it so one of the things that wasn't so great was the amount of the amount that it weighed. If you can imagine how much a 600 to 800 pound, I'm sorry, paged book slash magazine would weigh, we had about 100 to 300 of those. So you could imagine, first of all, uh, just just how much it. Oh my gosh, it was ridiculous. I, I'll share a story 
the last year we did it, because uh, we were still delivering papers up until like 93, 93, 94 on the weekends. And I remember I got so fed up with everything. I just, I threw a lot of them in the dump. And I'm looking back now and I'm thinking, man, I would love to 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 have one just to remember. And I, I might even go on that website that they were talking about, which is the Wish Book Web. And it's called uh, the Vintage Christmas Catalog Archive. So I might um, see what they got here and try to maybe see if I could order one or just, you know, maybe put the word out there online just to see if anyone has one. And again, this is this is all nostalgia reminiscing for a different time. And and to be honest, just over the last two years, Amazon has actually tried to recreate that uh, feeling. So if you are an Amazon uh, payer, I guess, or whatever, or if you have used their service, if you have Amazon Prime, which I, I did about two years ago, two or three years ago, they would send a catalog, which was trying to mimic the toy catalog. That was just all gifts, all toys. And it was a way, way less um, of an endeavor than what I remember. I think it was maybe, if you're lucky, maybe 100 pages, excuse me, or so. But what, what this thing, what they were trying to do is try to recreate that. So as we've jumped into this new era of streaming, of 24-hour news cycles, of, you know, up to the second information on what's going on halfway around the world, the fact that I could stay up to date literally of what's going on in almost any part of the world that has reliable internet, it's kind of scary. It's kind of frightening. And it, 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 it does take away that feeling of news as well as information having any real meaning to it. Because if something is as easy to get or to have at your fingertips by just the thought of it, hey, let me look this up. Oh, when did this movie come out? Or when did this actor um, start acting in this role? There's not a lot of work to be done to try and actually find it. And when we would get the wish books, we would have, we didn't have any other means to, um, to look forward for the things we wanted. It was... We could guess, or the wish book was like, hey, this is what we've got. And you just, you would, oh my gosh, you would just literally, like, um, you would do what this article said. You would literally um, circle everything. You'd hide the magazine. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. And it was, it was during a time period where it was right before the internet. I remember when we'd get, get the books and, um, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever see that again because just the cost of printing and delivery, it's just way quicker and more accessible and it makes more business sense to have something online where everybody around the world can see it. Uh, Amazon is not going away anytime soon and nor is Walmart or any of the online shopping that's on there online. So at the moment we are, um, we are in in this in this uh, stage of life when it, when the internet is almost taken over, almost taken over everything. So, if this was um this was something I wanted to talk about for quite some time, I had 
had some discussions with friends and family about this sort of thing. People my age and a little bit older that remember what it was like to have, you know, to have to go to a store and order something out of the book and wait for it to come. And even just the anticipation of ordering something and waiting for it to get here is, uh, Sometimes it was even better than the gift itself. Because like they said, most of the stuff that was in that book, we didn't get. If we're going to be honest. Like, a lot of the the toys we wanted, the books we wanted, the the shoes that were in there. Like, just all the stuff. It was almost as if we were able to keep wishing for it and keep that hope alive. And I knew, like, my parents weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. They didn't have butt- buttloads of money. And what money they did have was being spent on little things like rent and food and, you know, dental work and (laughs) the stuff to keep you alive. And so the fact that I wanted to get, you know, the Ghostbusters firehouse with Ecto-1, all of the Ghostbusters and maybe Slimer and some, you know, get the Turtles, uh, Turtle Van, they they weren't trying to hear that. And I, and, and I, I definitely, um really relate to what the article what that writer was saying in her article about how it wasn't it wasn't about even the stuff because reality wise you weren't going to get all of that stuff anyways and chances are you really didn't need you didn't need it but it was just cool to know that it was out there and you could take a look at it and wish on it and hope you could get it and um i definitely know that my kids and other kids out there who are like, you know, my kid's age, they'll never know what that was like. And I finally kind of get what my parents were saying about their upbringing when they were coming up. And, and then when they had me and my brother and they were saying, reminiscing, you know, waxing philosophically about their own upbringing and their childhood and some of the things that they took for granted. But as they got older, they wished was still around and I'm it's weird to, to find yourself in that same position to to reminisce and to just have fond memories of, of that stuff because again we didn't have enough money to buy all the toys that we wanted in there but it was cool to look and it was cool to to circle what what was there and go back to the page and and then when the new book came out to see oh my gosh what new things were were coming out and what new um, what new toys and, and gadgets were were being developed. It was really cool to see the progression of technology in those books. And if I, if I could find one or maybe find one on eBay or somewhere, I'd like to probably just see if I can get one um, and, and kind of have it as a keepsake. Who knows, right? Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll luck out if I go to like an estate sale or something, but... But anyways, um, yeah, like I was saying, this was just a trip down memory lane. I think it's really important to um, kind of remember where we come from, I guess, or you know, or remember what came before. Um, yeah, you know, think about what came before the Amazons and and the WalMarts and excuse me, oh my gosh, and all that stuff. But like I was saying before, you know, thanks for listening. Thank you for paying attention. Like I was saying before, we also have episodes from other um, time periods here on the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. We got about 100 and so. So check them out. Uh, We also have the 
Adult Fitness Podcast, as well as the Strange Tales Podcast of Gods and Monsters. I'm not too sure about the title of that. I might actually be work. It's a working title with the uh, Strange Tales one, but stay tuned for, for more of those. But until next time, take care, be good to one another out there, and keep the peace. Take care.